This Athletic Podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app. So you can bet on multiple scenarios and build your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. It's for over-18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Welcome to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell, and today we're asking the question, how has the new goal kick rule changed the game? And Michael Cox is here to talk through this with me. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ali. What have you been writing about this week for The Athletic? Uh, basically been doing some previews ahead of the Champions League, which obviously is uh, back this week. And uh, they've been in conjunction with our other guest today. Our other guest today, the Athletics' new signing, Tom Warville, joins us. Hi, Tom. Hi, Ali. How's it going? You're very well, thank you. Is this a, a boyhood dream come true for you, this move? Uh, yeah, boyhood, considering the Athletic is four years old. <laughs> um, I'm still very much a boy. So, yeah, let's, let's say that is true, yeah. And please, could you talk me through your role, your job title now, and what you'll be doing for The Athletic? So I'm a football analytics writer, which essentially means um, they don't trust anyone else at The Athletic to use data quite like I can. Not even Coxie. Not even Coxie. Um, So yeah, I'm going to essentially be, what I put in my intro piece is a bit of a translator, take the fairly sometimes dry and bland world of, of you know, the number side of football and turn into some interesting stories. The big thing I'm working on at the moment is a piece about Liverpool's defence uh, and essentially, you know, from the numbers side, why is it so good? How is it so good? They're going to win the title. Where does this put them against other teams in Europe and historically, how good are they? Yeah, and you do, in fairness, I can understand the hire because you've got some pretty serious experience in the field. Tom, where have you come from? Yeah, so I joined uh, Opta, which you know many listeners will be familiar with, uh, and I worked kind of you know media and the pro side there. So yeah, nice, thanks. Part of the reason why we've got you in today, not just because it's your first week and we want to sort of test you out a bit, but also because the topic today is something that you've done a lot of work on as well. How has the new goal kick rule changed football? In fact, you've done a whole presentation on it. So that's really what we're after. That was at the Opta Pro Forum. Can you talk me through what that was and why you were on the stage talking about goal kicks? So the Opta Pro Forum's annual event takes place in central London. uh, And essentially, you have a bunch of people from clubs, from the media, uh, and from this so-called analytics community, people who in their spare time blog about using using football data. Quite a fun hobby. Mm. Um, And yeah, they essentially, this year, they changed the uh, format a little bit. So we had uh, Swansea, City and FC Nordschland in Denmark provide questions nice. uh, which will kind of impact performance and the use of data to change how, how teams play. The Swansea one is you know how do we break down different playing styles that we face and the Nordschland one was how do we break down a, a low block. So it's really really nice. like tactical yeah. fundamental things that they can then look to answer with data. Interesting and, and Michael before we get into this you've already 
co-written an article with Tom. So instantly he's straight into the starting eleven, and he's and he's complimenting you well too. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been really interesting already because there's you know a couple of things I, I threw at Tom in terms of how can we present a certain style, and and Tom's coming up with basically metrics I didn't know existed. You know, <laughs> we've we've kind of got. I mean, it's been probably ten years now. I've been kind of using the same kind of the goals and assists and the chances created. But some of these about carrying the ball, about how you measure team's level of pressing, I think is a really interesting area. You know, maybe the key tactical concepts the last five or six years that there isn't a defined metric for. So, yeah, just having different different ways of looking at numbers has been really interesting already. Yeah, and exciting for all subscribers of The Athletic to start to discover some of these metrics that we didn't even know existed. Uh, Tom, let's get into goal kicks. I think we all know the change in rules by now. If you're listening to this podcast, you're watching football, it's been a pretty uh, obvious change this season. Just to uh, give a, a brief prissy for anyone who hasn't been noticing, previously the ball was only considered to be in play once it had cleared the penalty area. Now the ball is in play from the moment it is kicked and clearly moves and goalkeepers are able to play it short to teammates inside the box. Michael, why did we have the rule that you couldn't pass to your teammate inside the box? Yeah, I think this is a, a fundamentally important point and I don't think many people have really addressed it because I've seen some people complaining about the rule and saying that it hasn't completely worked because teams are getting robbed inside their own box and this kind of thing. But when you think about it, why should there have been a regulation that says you have to play the ball outside the box? The reason is it came into effect before the back pass rule which right. was 1992 so you go back to the 1970s you had a situation where when teams had a goal kick the goalkeeper would take the take the goal kick two yards to a defender the defender would play it back and then the goalkeeper can then pick the ball up and go to the edge of his area which people considered was some you know somewhat against the spirit of the rules so before the back pass rule was introduced they introduced a rule where okay if you want to do that you can but you have to play the ball outside the box to a defender who could then return it to the goalkeeper which is obviously a little bit more risky mm. because there's a chance you're going to get robbed so it was a little bit of an anomaly for me after the back pass rule change why should they i don't think in any other situation in football there's a rule where you can play the ball to on the pitch mm. and if you're on you know inside your own box it should be perfectly reasonable if you want to play a five-yard pass to a defender right next to you there was also a bit of a loophole wasn't there because if I was passing to you standing on the edge of the box and you felt that you were being pressured to a greater extent than expected at potentially forcing a mistake you could take the ball or control the ball inside the box and the punishment was fairly minimal I think it was just a retake wasn't it so you didn't get punished for for essentially avoiding the issue. Exactly. There was absolutely no punishment for it whatsoever. I always thought that was strange. I actually thought, of, I mean, it doesn't really matter anymore, but I think I thought a decent compromise would be actually to give the opposition a corner because it's essentially like a failed goal kick. I yeah. mean, if you take a foul throw, the throw goes to the other side. Mm. But yeah, I guess the more logical change was just to uh, allow you to take the goal kick to wherever you wanted to. What was the real reason for the change of the law? It can't just have been because of that specific loophole. Was it moving with the times? What was it? I mean, the official explanation was time-wasting. You know, right, okay. they said that teams had... I think there were two situations. One, the thing you just mentioned where teams could time-waste by essentially just taking the goal kick for a second time. The other was just... We had this general standoff where, you know, defenders would line up on the edge of the box, they'd be pressed by opponents, the goalkeeper would intend to play the ball out and then would just 
beckon them up the pitch and hoof the ball downfield. You know, as with a lot of the new rule changes, particularly the one about substitutes leaving the pitch at the nearest point, it's just about speeding up the game. And I think that probably has had a decent impact so far. Tom, from a data analytics point of view and the work that you do, Michael touched on the back pass rule, which was changed in the early 90s. And in one of your excellent published books, Michael, you've touched on the impact that that had on how the game looks and how teams had to change their approach based on what seemed a fairly simple rule change. Tom, I'm interested to know, and with all the caveats of a small sample size and uh, only a few months or six months since the rule changed, to what extent can you say it has changed teams' approaches? Yeah, I think from a top-down point of view, there's been a fairly dramatic uptake in terms of what I've deemed short goal kicks. Um, so for the presentation, I looked at any goal kick that was uh, passed within 40 metres of the, the team's own box was a short goal kick. Um, and that's because you do have a lot of times where a team will pass the ball um, just outside the area and it feels harsh, harsh to kind of like cap those inside versus those outside. So in Serie A, we've gone from kind of like two and five to three and five goal kicks and now short, which is a really, really big change of adding about 20% more. Um, and across Europe, uh, in all the leagues, every single league's seen an increase in short goal kicks since this rules come into play. Would you say all teams are going shorter more often because of the change? Or are there some teams who have said, nope, we're not interested in this? What does the data say about individual teams? Yeah, there's a couple of teams who kind of are bucking the trend, but more often than not, uh, most of the teams have kind of increased their share of short goal kicks. Uh, a few interesting examples, and these are probably born out of managerial changes. So under Chris Hutton, uh, last season, Brighton were taking 7% of their goal kicks short. Uh, and this year, under Graham Potter, it's now up to 76%. So Matt Ryan's legs are really being saved this year. Um, probably helps having you know Adam Webster and, and uh, Dunk at the back. Yeah. Um, but that, that's kind of like the biggest change we've seen in Europe. Um, and also some teams that you kind of might not expect it. So um, RB Leipzig had 18% of their goal kicks short last year, up to 65% this year. So another kind of like big change for teams that you might expect to go long. They're a more direct team. Previously, you know, Nagelsmann's Leipzig are a bit more possession-based. They, they like to, you know, have the ball more than previous iterations. Would you say in terms of ball progression, which I think is quite a key phrase when we're discussing the importance of this rule change and what it's done for the game and done for individual teams would you say teams are now successfully working the ball up the pitch to a, a greater extent because of this rule change yeah so we can see um, whether a short goal kick was actually better a better option than a long goal kick over kind of both seasons and um, from looking at that data, you kind of see that on average, uh, teams who take a short goal kick will progress up the field 49 metres. If you take a long goal kick, you'll progress up the field 39 metres. So there's a roughly 10 metre gap in terms of progress going short when you're going long, which maybe doesn't match up with expectation. Mm. Um, and this is probably because like I took into account if you play the ball long upfield and it goes straight to the opposition, yeah, the ball's you know, 50, 60 metres upfield, but you don't have control. So there will be kind of a lot of goal kicks which will go out of play, which will kind of, uh, the defender will duck and let it roll back to their own keeper or their own centre-back. Um, so even though the ball can go farther up the field, the team's not actually in control of the ball. Interesting. Michael, less from a data analytics perspective, more from the perspective of very few people watch more Premier League football than yourself. What have you seen watching the games visually? What have you noticed about how teams have approached this rule change? Well, I think the major impact has probably been that it's changed how teams press. 
I mean, the basics are that they've got 18 extra yards of the pitch to cover mm. at the opposition goal kicks. And I think that has is, is made it quite difficult, actually, because it's created more space in midfield, I would say. So before, the, the opposition defence would be kind of lingering on the edge of their own box. The attackers of the opposition team would probably be maybe 25 yards from goal, waiting to close that down. Now those players are on the edge of the opposition box and the defenders inside the penalty area. So I think we've seen probably more longish goal kicks that are kind of targeted to a player in space in the midfield zone. I think there's been more situations where teams have worked the ball almost through the lines very quickly from from the goal kick right from the back. So in a sense, I suppose, while a goalkeeper's ability to distribute the ball accurately has clearly become a, a huge part of a goalkeeper's skill set in the modern game, it feels like almost to a, an even greater extent now, those sort of mid-range passes, I suppose, into midfield or out wide to the fullbacks, it's now even more crucial and very beneficial if your goalkeeper has a, an accurate passing ability. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's actually quite difficult now to press at goal kicks because I think the the greatest example of this is if you're facing Manchester City because on one hand, Guardiola's teams want to play out from the back. They want Laporte and Stones, whoever's playing at the back, to get on the ball. But on the other hand, because he can't be offside from a goal kick, City have exploited that a lot with you know Edison just hoofing the ball over the entire side, often to Sterling or Sané or Aguero running through. So you know because teams are so focused on being compact, it's very difficult to be compact if you can't play an offside trap like you usually would, and you've now got to cover. 18 more yards up the pitch. So we've team, we've seen teams just spread across the pitch in a way that we wouldn't have really seen before and we don't really see in any other situation as well. Something for the defensive teams to think about increasingly is the importance of transition. Is that also something that we see having quite a big impact in how teams are setting themselves up defensively against goal kicks now? In the presentation, I kind of pulled up a, a quote from Chris Davies, who's the assistant manager at, at Leicester City, which was in contrast to quite a few of the other presentations who had, you know, Johan Cruyff and, and Pep Guardiola, but um, <laughs> all due respect to Chris Davies. Um, but I, yeah, you know, Davies kind of said that, you know, transition or controlling the transition is the most important part of the game now, Ali, like, like you're saying. Um, and those being the moments where possession changes hands yeah exactly I watched a, a ton of goal kicks in in this study and kind of seen that a lot of the times where goals are scored or conceded come in breakdowns of that transitional moment and one that I was chatting to Michael about before kind of recording this podcast was um, Son's kind of like match winning goal this weekend against Villa came from Pepe Reina hoofing the ball upfield two Villa players go to head the same ball easy ball through from Sanchez and then Engels you know miscues the clearance Son goes through and scores there's two chances there for Villa to kind of control this transition and they failed and they've lost the game Michael you've mentioned Manchester City there the way that they are using both the shorter options but also using the longer ball as a way of exploiting potentially the, the teams that press them a little bit higher up the pitch uh, are there any other teams sort of case studies that have caught your eye uh, teams using the rule change and, and adapting the way that they're doing things yeah I think the two most interesting ones I've seen in the last few weeks have been uh, from European sides one from Napoli under Reno Gattuso now of course they really take advantage of how you know you can play the ball short because they've often been putting the centre-backs very wide on the edge of the six-yard box and then actually bringing two central midfielders back into the area as well. The full-backs push up a little bit. They're higher than the centre-backs. So they're still roughly level with the edge of the penalty box. So they've got six players really within 18 yards of their own byline. And that's actually quite difficult to press because if you press with anything less than 
six players really. Usually Napoli can play out around you. If you do press with six players, then hang on. Suddenly it's impossible to retain any kind of structure or cover for your defence. So they've really taken it to an extreme, um, which I guess is almost going back a little bit to how they played under Sarri. An interesting point about Napoli is that they've got kind of like the third highest amount of progress from short goal kicks in Serie A this season. Uh, That's behind Atalanta uh, and Verona, interestingly. Um, So yeah, definitely plays into the fact that Gattuso is doing it slightly differently, but it's paying dividends in terms of being able to get the ball up the field. Any other examples of quirkiness from goal kicks? Yeah, Barcelona are quite quirky under Kike Setien. They've got this system where one of the centre-backs actually takes the goal kick. So there'll be one centre-back towards the corner of the six-yard box, another one on the opposite side, the goalkeeper remaining between his posts pretty much on the goal line. And the first defender will take the goal kick back to the goalkeeper, basically on his own, own goal line. And I think the reason for that is when teams are trying to press Uh, a defence playing out they're generally trying to box them in towards one side and we see that if a goalkeeper goes from if you go from goalkeeper to left-sided centre-back the opposition all know which position to take up they all kind of press sides towards that part of the pitch if you go back to the goalkeeper then the ball is still in the centre of the pitch and you see the opposition not really sure which directions to force the opposition in you're also left with a goalkeeper who can see the entire width of the pitch and can pick out passes whereas that's slightly more difficult if you're playing it to a center back to towards the side of the pitch so i haven't yet seen great examples of of them really working the ball into good positions and you know chances coming from it but it's certainly an interesting idea i mean when i was playing if a defender was taking a goal kick it's because he could hoof the ball furthest <laughs> up the pitch so it's quite a different situation now <laughs> Yeah, that that's just very Kike Setien, isn't it? Tom, we've talked about teams who maybe are doing things a little bit differently and making the most of the rule change. Uh, are there examples of teams who are rejecting or ignoring the rule change? Are there some teams who you've discovered are actually quite effective taking the longer approach? Yeah, so whether they're effective or not is, is another question, but Sheffield United have almost exclusively attempted the long goal kick this season, which um, makes sense trying to, I guess, play play to their strengths. Um, I don't really have a, a, examples of teams which are kind of rebelling against this rule, but I can tell you a couple of teams which maybe are worse from goal kick situations than you might expect or not. Um, so Arsenal this year have got the lowest progress from both short and long goal kicks. You know, they've got some good examples in terms of the match against Watford early this season. Uh, Leno plays out to, I think, Socrates. They get tackled. Tom Cleverley scores and they eventually end up drawing the game 2-2. And yeah, it's a really interesting question of like, just because this rule's come in, mm. do you do you have to use it? Should you use it? Um, and maybe that plays into whether kind of like these strategies play out further down the football pyramid, which we can chat on later. Yeah, that Watford-Arsenal game was just an incredible example of a side who it felt like they'd worked on playing out from the back but maybe not with much opposition pressure and training because they were continually getting themselves into really terrible situations in that game and I was covering this game for the Athletic and I was sitting next to a journalist there who was appalled at this new rule and was just kept saying to me they've got to change it it hasn't worked it hasn't worked (laughs) and I was trying to explain you don't have to play it short you can still hoof the ball up the pitch if you want to and uh, I remember after many failed playing out from the back eventually Arsenal did hoof it long and got a huge cheer from their own supporters there's an interesting uh, kind of question around like 
yeah, just because it's there, should you do it? And in terms of numbers, in terms of shot generation from goal kicks, so do a team take a shot within 30 seconds of the goal kick? Um, going long, you result in a shot kind of one every 100 goal kicks. If you go short, you get a shot off roughly three in every 100 goal kicks. So there's like a there's a reward element there. But on the risk side, you're also likely to concede a shot three every 100 goal kicks. So for Arsenal, like maybe they've they've you know seen something similar and thought you know if we play out this successfully there's a chance that we do create a chance. But on the flip side, yeah, if you do cock it up at the back and don't beat the first the first phase, the first press, uh, you're going to concede a chance, which actually, in terms of expected goals, is a really, really high quality chance as well. Right, so that's the big risk part of this. If you're lumping it, so to speak, uh, probably less chance that off the back of that, you're going to be able to build good possession and progress the ball uh, and, and get a, a good chance. But... It's not so much the amount of shots that you give up when you go short and lose the ball, but really the quality of those chances as well can be very high, right? Yeah. And it's a really interesting point. Like, when do you choose to go long versus going short? If going long is kind of as much a defensive strategy and a lot less of an attacking strategy, all right, let's just hoof it long. And, and you know, we've got less chance of scoring, but we've got less chance of actually conceding a high-quality chance here. That's a really interesting question for, for teams. And Tom... You mentioned dropping down the pyramid. Uh, have you been able to gather any intel on how sides further down the pyramid uh, have, have dealt with this and what it's looking like with maybe players of a slightly lesser quality than the top leagues? Yeah, that was a, the first rebuttal I got of, you know, this is for the, the premier teams in Europe, the premier players in Europe. How does this kind of like look going a bit further down? And there was some data around, you know, there are certain teams which are better further down the pyramid than others, Leeds United being a, a good example. But I do think there's a, an interesting thing from like the fan perspective, though, when you go down the leagues where uh, I was at a QPR game recently and QPR managed by, by Mark Werberton, who likes to play short out of the back. And I feel there's a lot of nervousness from fans when you're at kind of like games which, you know, maybe they, they've seen previously that this tactic doesn't work and it breaks down. They can see chances more often than not. Um, and I wonder, I don't really feel that you get that nervousness as much in Premier League grounds when teams are, are more in control. I'm not sure Arsenal fans would necessarily agree because if, if you do concede a goal, you know, this is, this is not in any way analytical more emotional if you concede a goal as a result of an error from a short goal kick it feels like it's sort of worse than conceding a goal where maybe someone hasn't picked up a runner or or conceding in any other scenario doesn't it yeah and I think it's one of many areas in football where if you watch the highlights you get a distorted picture of what's happening because if you see a short goal kick on match of the day you know it's not going to lead to a minute of possession (laughs) you know it's going to go wrong so um, I mean I don't know if Tom's had any difficulties in finding footage as well because sometimes we're seeing a replay Mm. you know the goal kick is traditionally not an area that is of any interest either you know on a events basis on a tactical basis but obviously that's changed now yeah and and even just from watching a ton of video here goal kicks more often than not will come from shots that are off target so when you're going through the broadcast footage you know they're going to be showing replays of the Mm. shot you miss a ton of goal kicks trying to watch goal kicks so (laughs) that was a a labor of love trying to go through all these all these clips and actually see what's going on well again i don't have necessarily all the numbers here but as someone who follows the efl very closely and works on the highlights show i can confirm there have been many examples that i can think of of uh, short goal kicks not going very well um for, for the reasons discussed and as you say it's it does give you a distorted image of it because 
the the anger felt by fans and the sort of I suppose the humor in it you know from a neutral's point of view it really does heighten the mistake heighten the concession of that goal and you know Tom has talked us through in terms of shot generation in terms of ball progression what you found I think Tom is that actually the shorter the better to some extent so one of the conclusions is this is a good attacking ploy which I think is quite an interesting one, which a lot of people won't have necessarily gathered. Yeah, I think it's probably one of these where we're we're biased, like Michael's saying, where if you see a you know a goal conceded from a short goal kick, it stays in your memory more than than a long one. Um, but yeah, I I don't know if if I was kind of in charge of a team, I think we'd definitely be looking at can we use this strategy and which teams around Europe are actually uh, employing it effectively to try and get the most value out of it. So Bayer Leverkusen over under Peter Bosch, um, our second to Bayern. Uh, in the Bundesliga in terms of building out from the back from goal kicks but then also you've got Montpellier in League One who are far and away the best when it comes to um, long goal kicks so within those there are going to be some teams in Europe who have kind of very innovative and different strategies that you could you know gain value from from a, from a coach or from a fan point of view um, be less nervous of them conceding sloppy goals and passing out from the back and Michael from an opposition point of view there must be sides and managers who have developed a, a good pressing game that absolutely lick their lips when they come up against a team who they know is going to be trying to play it as short as possible from these situations. Yeah, I think pressing a goal kick is quite interesting because I'd say there's almost two completely different intentions when you're trying to press. I mean, some teams, for example, Liverpool, they want the opposition to play short because then they can kind of spring into their press and try and win the ball on the edge of the opposition box. But I think there's other teams... I think Burnley do this, although I must admit I haven't seen their matches recently, so this might be a bit of a generalisation based upon their style of play. But I think generally Dyche wants his players to press the opposition so that they will play it long because Burnley are not necessarily a kind of counter-pressing side in that regard, but they are very happy trying to win aerial balls on the halfway line. So it's again, it maybe goes back to what we mentioned briefly at the start in terms of measuring pressing. I think it's slightly difficult to kind of consider those two the same thing. Mm. You know, one is very much trying to win the ball in a good position on the edge of the area. One's having the ball in the air, 50-50 ball. So there's different teams trying to do different things. And I think that, you know, feeds into this being actually quite a complex tactical situation now. Yeah, it feels like Burnley are probably one where they're trying to feed off the, that transition moment and, and kind of the, the chaos that ensues after a second ball or a knockdown, um, which, yeah, like you say, I guess isn't directly a pressing strategy, but is a, a means of getting the ball in midfield, having, uh, you know, more players ahead of the ball than the opposition do and trying to uh, make something from that situation. It'd be really interesting to know, and, and this is a, a plea, I guess, to any of the athletics writers with contacts, uh, managers of Premier League clubs or, or people within clubs, to know, firstly, how teams and staffs thought about this rule in the summer before they'd really put it into practice and how their thoughts and strategies have developed throughout the season. Because, you know, Previously, it would have been mostly, this is what we think will be effective. This is the, the sort of reaction we think we should have to a team playing short. And now that there's a bit more data to look at and a bit more video to watch, it'd be interesting to know how those thoughts are developing uh, for people within clubs as the season's gone on. I think there's an interesting point there around like Liverpool this season employed a throwing coach. Uh, and on average, there are 43 throw-ins per game. Um, goal kicks on the other side there are 16.2 which is the third most of kind of any set piece the one in between there is kind of short or in indirect free kicks um, and I just find it funny how teams in training will pay attention to penalties and corners um, there's a penalty one every three game corners there are kind of roughly five for each uh, team per game you have more goal kick situations that you can actually impact the game from and yet these are probably 
an absolute afterthought when it comes to preparation and, and, and planning. And a lot of teams have goalkeeper coaches who will have ideas and plans on, on these strategies. So, yeah, I just think that maybe it's an area for teams to work on, maybe more than they think, and it happens more than they think per game. Michael, you know the rules off by heart. There's one specific part of the new rules that you think could cause uh, um, well one of these quite dramatic events at some point this season yeah just worth pointing out that if a team takes a short goal kick and the opposition genuinely haven't had time to get their players outside the penalty box uh, they're allowed to to get involved in the game if a passing move breaks down you know if the player short goal kick and a pass goes astray across the penalty area and there was a player who was in the box they can happily get involved and score a goal so I just think there'll probably be I don't know one or two incidents this season or next season where that becomes really controversial but uh, yeah if you take it quickly you're forfeiting your right to have the penalty box to yourself basically um, we've spoken about the goal kicks rule we touched on the back pass rule that was changed 20 odd years ago uh, any future changes to rules that you would like to see or you think we might see yeah this is slightly controversial but I think the laws uh, about throw-ins are rather too strict and I know people get very upset when this fell throw-ins but I think that now football essentially is just about retaining possession whenever possible from these situations I don't really understand why throw-ins have to be taken as they are you know over your head I think sometimes not at Premier League level but I think at junior level actually just the process of throwing a ball to a teammate him playing it back to you and you getting the ball down on the floor and playing can actually be quite difficult mm. and it's actually quite difficult to um, you know if you're being pressed towards a touchline it's quite difficult to play out from that situation so I'd kind of like you know in the spirit of FIFA and the IFAB wanting to speed up the game with these restarts and kind of just liberalise the throw-in just sling it in well I think you should probably have to do it with both hands to prevent people actually, you know, just lobbing it 60 yards. Yeah, you wouldn't want like an, an overarm goalkeeper throw to become a part of the, no, the throw-in routine. As far as I'm concerned, if you want to do it almost un, you know, underarm with two hands, if you want to do a netball pass, you can, I think, just basically get the ball in, in play as quickly as possible rather than it bouncing around, bobbling around challenges, just get the ball on the floor and, and play as quickly as possible. Or exclusively having their like um, overhead handstand throwing that was uh, <laughs> popular. That would be very good for uh, for viral videos. Probably carnage for the for the sport itself. Um, Cardiff City scored two goals this weekend from long throws, which was a lovely homage to their former manager Neil Warnock. And both times the thrower's foot was in play. So Wigan fans, you can imagine, furious that this yeah. was not, you know, because they're, they're not very strict on stuff like that, are they? Really, no. they're not strict on foul throws. No, not at all. That's it for this week's Zonal Marking podcast. Thanks very much to Athletic debutant Tom Warville for joining us and giving us all your expertise on this. Thanks, Ali. And Michael, always a pleasure to be on the pod with you as well. Thank you, Ali. If you haven't signed up to The Athletic, you're not only missing out on Michael's writing, on Tom's first few pieces and beyond, but also a whole array of other fantastic football writing. Uh, a subscription to The Athletic doesn't just cover the football side of things either. All the American sports and everything The Athletic has to offer is covered by one subscription. If you sign up to The Athletic today by heading to www.theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking you'll get 40% off your annual subscription uh, please do join The Athletic today so much good stuff on there especially now that we're approaching the business end of the season 
Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We'll be back again next week with something fresh, something new on the Zonal Marking Podcast. Thank you.